Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Translator. This is a podcast that's brought to you by RiskPro, where RegTech and WealthTech converge. I'm your host, Julie Mochin, and I do this because I'm extremely curious about the many wonders and wonderful people that make up the financial industry, and more specifically about the people and innovations that are continually changing it. My episodes vary in content. They're either fact finders, thought provokers, or uplifters. And this is just episode number three, which I call an interesting uplifter that I recorded in the midst of a global pandemic. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. The interview actually happened several weeks ago, and I'm just getting it out the door now. Um, as Risk Pro's sister company had my attention looking at a product launch. So I'm giving myself a mulligan in post-production because of the events in the world that are happening, along with the nonstop lawnmowers that seem to be running all over my neighborhood as I'm working from a home office. If you hear a weird noise, it's a lawnmower, <laughs> or my dog, or my kids. And so I did want to say that uh, before I start talking about my guest. And this is exciting because my guest is a, she's a fast talker that runs a 60 plus year old financial firm out of Boston, Massachusetts. And I've come to know the firm and admire them for their continuous technological innovations and open-mindedness. And my guest may have long forgotten that we've even recorded a podcast as she's busy, not just running this successful financial firm that attracts many independent advisors, but she's very hands-on raising her kids that are now being homeschooled due to the pandemic. Her name is Jenny Devlin, and she's one of those people, even before you get to know her, you kind of feel like you know her. And that's because she is a genuine person with a natural, pragmatic thought process that I absolutely love. I kind of view her as like a human Swiss army knife that happens to be very beautiful inside and out. She's selfless. She has nothing to hide. She gives no unnecessary apologies ever. And she's a woman with confidence that's backed by not just knowledge, but experience and is a force to be reckoned with. Jenny's raising a family while raising all levels of success in those around her and is someone I really enjoy being with, talking to, and gaining insight from on everything. Everyone can get something out of this fast-paced interview. And I'll say that if you are a woman in the financial industry or any business, really, you'll definitely want to listen to this podcast because we talk about everything from running a firm while sheltering in place to trends in the industry and even a fun fact about the origin of her firm, which is Cantella and Company. So buckle up, bees, and let's spend a few minutes with Jenny Devlin as I interview her from a respectful social distance of about 400 miles away. Here we go. Welcome, Jenny. Hi. How are you today? Good. Hump day. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, every day is like every other day at this point. So I wanted to start this podcast. There's a lot of things I want to ask you, and you're always a lot of fun to talk with. You're like one of the most approachable people, I think, that's out there, not just in this business, but just in general. But I wanted to start with, because we are literally recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, the pandemic. So let's start with number one, how you're handling this. And because you're a mom and you're the president of Cantella and company, talk about both sides of it. You know, the, you know, personally, how are you handling this and the good and bad of it? And then professionally as well. I'd love to hear that. I mean, I guess from a personal standpoint, 
in terms of we I've always worked from home a day a week. So in terms of physically relocating to working from home wasn't difficult. I have three young kids. I have two six-year-old twin boys and an eight-year-old daughter. So we're doing the homeschooling thing, which is working out well. It's, it's been a big learning curve. You know, it's like we were talking earlier. You're learning how to do classroom Zoom meetings, <laughs> classroom Google meetings. There's 800 websites you've got to remember and making sure that everyone's doing what they need to do. Passwords, so, passwords, passwords. Passwords. <laughs> yeah. Passwords are like, yeah, really problematic. <laughs> my office at home now has four little workstations, mine and each of my kids. You know, we've dusted off old laptops and Chromebooks and everybody's got their own little setup. Everyone's got their website favorite saved. So everyone knows when they're doing reading or math. And again, it, it's chaotic on one hand because it is, it's a lot of people in one office trying to get a lot of things done. You know, but on the other hand, it's cool. Like my kids are going to remember this. Cool, maybe not the appropriate word, but it's been a real experience in terms of actually doing everyday learning with my kids and it being okay. Everyone understands that when you're doing a conference call now or you're on a, you know, any, a normal phone call, yeah, you're going to hear my kids in the background possibly. And then it's okay. So they've actually, yeah. actually joined in a couple of um, Zoom meetings I've done and it's, it's good for them. I mean, I brought my kids with me to work for years until they all went to school, they came to be with me to work every day. So I think that experience for me is great because I love being with my kids. I, I was always torn, you know, before I had kids, I loved my career. I knew I never wanted to be a full-time stay-at-home mom, but I also knew I did not want to put my kids in daycare all the time. I had this idea that I could bring them to work and it worked out and it was sad when they went to school. Um, it was also a little bit nice because things were quieter. <laughs> But we're getting back to that and spending time together. And it's 100% acceptable by everyone now. Let's talk about that a little bit because you are someone who has done something with their life by problem solving all the time, taking control, being confident, and knowing that what you're doing is the right thing to do, right? And I think a lot of women who want to have a family and have a career feel it a lot of times that they have to go one way or the other, or, you know, you're trying to like juggle way too many things. Can you sort of tell us about, you know, what the thought process was when you started in the business? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of when I, when I had kids, I sat down with my, my partners and said, listen, guys, you know, me, you know, my background, my kids are important to me and, and things are going to get done one way or the other. Bottom line, I'm not going to not be around for my kids. It's not going to happen. So at the time, we were in an office that had a huge, um, it was an old file cabinet room. So it was a giant kind of cave full of filing cabinets that we didn't use because Cantel is 100% paperless. So we emptied all those out, got rid of those, and we turned it into a daycare for my kids. And I brought a babysitter in so that I was present. My kids were part of, I mean, my kids went to meetings in our conference room all the time. They learned how to be respectful, um, but to be part of it versus shuffled off to the side. I give a lot of credit to my partners at the time. They were, they were open to that. And I think they knew how I would handle. They knew I wasn't going to let my kids run wild, but it was, it was, it was an unbelievable experience that a lot of people couldn't have. I mean, I think particularly after everything that's going on right now, I think it's going to be interesting to see so many more people are now capable of working from home and truly working from home, not just kind of air right. working from home. I'm hoping like hell, this will allow more women to be able to do what I did because I was exceptionally lucky. I really was like, I, I mean, I put my foot down and I made it happen, but I also got a ton of support. And again, if you're some mammoth company who's got, you know, the bureaucratic red tape and the rules, 
you can't march in and say, hey, we're turning this file room into a, a nanny room or a <laughs> nursery. <laughs> it might not be well received. <laughs> well, I think to your point, that depends on uh, the size of a company. But I think anybody that knows you, and one thing that I'd like to say to any women that are in this business, that's something you don't hear very often and I, it needs to be heard. The other piece of it is... Yeah, for the people that you, the team that you have around you at Cantella, knowing them for the last couple of years, they're all very amazing people. You've really put a great team together. If you could tell us just a little bit about Cantella and then how the, you know, the business is in this crisis time as well. Yeah. So Cantella, we're a broker dealer, RIA. We've been around since 1952. Um, We were self-clearing up until the late 80s, at which point we became one of one of the very first independent firms out there. And we set up clearing arrangements with Raymond James, uh, Fidelity, Pershing, and then we literally wrote the book on going independent. I started there in 2000, and I was assistant to the owner, uh, Vin Cantella at the time. And, you know, obviously times were a little rough in 2000 as well. Um, and we went through, and I guess the, the history of Cantella is it's you're always thinking ahead. You're always trying to create efficiencies. And so when blips like this, although I don't know if I, again, would call this a blip, but when, when crises like this happen in really tough times, you're able to react um, and you're able to react pretty nimbly and pretty, pretty quickly. We're not having to do layoffs because one, we're, we've been smart about how we run our firm. We don't have a lot of oh, like unnecessary overhead. You know, so let me back up a minute. So when I started in 2000, I slowly kind of went around and was reorganizing various departments and my skill set, I would say, is organization and where can you create efficiencies? And that is a very good skill set. But I ended up hiring an intern in 2002, I believe. Anyway, who was Jay Lansdine, who is our current CIO and CEO. And Jay not only has a good understanding of the business, but Jay has a programming background. So while I was able to go into a particular department and say, OK, this is a better way to run this. This makes more sense. This is more efficient. Jay could then tag team it with me and add the technology that made it even more efficient. So um, you build it from scratch. Built it from scratch. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, with we had keep in mind, we had four clearing firms as well as direct 401k business, direct mutual fund business, and direct variable annuity business. I mean, the first time, you know, every single time during a cycle exam when a regulator walks in, every single time, the first question out of their mouth is, well, just out of curiosity, why do you guys have multiple clearing relationships? And, the, you know, there's a whole history to how those relationships came about just because Vin knew everybody. But why would you not have multiple clearing relationships? Mm-hmm. You, know, you can you can offer the absolute. No one has an offering. I, I would honestly say I don't think there's a firm out there that has a better offering than we do because you, you can't. You know, we, we have too much available as part of that. When there's that much information out there and it's in different places, it's harder to supervise. It's harder to kind of make sense of and reconcile. So one of the first things that Jay did was it's what we call Global View Now. It's our portal for our advisors. And it doesn't replace clearing firm technology, but it sits on top of it. So anyway, long and short, what we do is we take in feeds from all of our accounts, regardless of what clearing firm they're at or whether they're direct. And it, it allows our advisors, as well as us on the inside, to 
to parcel out compensation. You every single dime you get, you know where it came from. You can see if there's a shift in your book, you can see why. You know, did it did someone did you add a new account? Did you shift commission business to advisory business? We built a, a workflow system. And over time we went fully paperless. So that when this, you know, when when this corona situation hit, within three days, we made the decision, all right, we're working from home. And our entire office went work from home and it's been seamless. It's good. I wanted to ask also, you know, when we originally met and knowing each other with RiskPro, I've seen not all of your system, but I've seen some of it and what Jay was able to build with your natural processes, you know, organizational thinking is, well, like you said, it's, there's nothing else out there like it. We came along and, and um, plugged into it as well. Right. So that was the next piece of the puzzle. So we build what isn't, which doesn't exist. What we don't do is try to build something. If there's a better mousetrap out there, we're going to use that. So when we met the risk protein, it was literally the natural next fit and the risk profiling tool and the proposal tool. It was again to create efficiency. So let me step back. I would say 75% of our advisory business is probably rep as PM. And not probably, it is rep as PM. A a large percentage of that is not in what what I would consider a proper model, right? Now, these advisors are doing a great job. They're looking after their accounts, but it's a lot of work because it's individual portfolios. Say rep as PM just for someone who doesn't understand what that is. Okay. Yep. Rep is portfolio manager. So it's the advisor managing the book versus using a third-party manager. We had a surveillance system that was good, but... Risk Pro's way of taking that conservative, moderate, aggressive, and what does that mean? Aggressive to me means one thing, aggressive to you might mean another thing. So through the whole Risk Pro process, you know, as we learned over time, it's a simpler, it's a more, it's a concrete conversation with the client. You're not asking them, hey, are you moderate today? Hey, dude, can you, or if you lose a hundred grand tomorrow, are you okay? Are you going to lose, you know, going to have a stroke? Right. So the, the risk profile questionnaire takes these clients through that process. And in addition, we were able to custom build with you guys, which was critical to me in our firm in terms of compliance. You're not only taking in the risk profile questionnaire, and that then obviously tells the client if the underlying and us and the rep, if their underlying investments are in line with their comfortable risk budget. But it also matches up to the new account form that's required to establish the account at the clearing firm, which is huge. And it's, it's more of a technical matter for internal, but if you open an account at a clearing firm, right, you establish the physical account and it says, okay, and on the new account form, I check off moderate or let's say conservative. And then I go and do my risk profile questionnaire and, I, you know, maybe I'm having an aggressive day that day and I fill it out, I, you know, let's swing for the fences. The risk pro report now not only will tell you if the account or the underlying investments are aligned with the, pro, the risk profile score. It'll tell you if the the risk profile questionnaire score is out of line with the new account form. So God forbid you have to go to an arbitration. You know that everything is in line. Yep. Everything matches up. Very plain English conversation with a customer, which again is always good. And particularly in times like this, when things are getting a little shaky, it's much easier to bring that, that document back up and have the conversation. You know, it's much better than just having a moderate, aggressive, what does that mean conversation? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I know you working with our developers was really special because of that, you know, the way you think. And you were able to bring some things to us that they were like, hey, yeah, we can do that. And then they created new and better things. It's been a really great relationship. I wanted to ask, uh, as far as the the advisors out there that you see today and, and you're completely paperless, technology is amazing. Um, 
what have you seen change over the years as as far as like the demographics of advisors or what type of business they're doing and where do you maybe see it going in the next 10 20 years i mean in terms of demographics quite honestly i haven't seen much change i'm hoping that's going to start to change um just because again, again stating the obvious to, well, the people that are in the industry, we've got to bring younger advisors in. We've always had a decent percentage of women advisors, not a ton, but I would say more than probably average. I'd mm-hmm. like to see more of them. I think one of the biggest messages that needs to get out there to women advisors, again, my, quick step back to my history. I have a teaching degree. I was supposed to teach third grade or somewhere between K and eight, and I couldn't get a job at the time. There just weren't none. So I ended up in this industry, had zero intention of staying. I mean, what is a, what is an elementary school teacher going to do? with investments, right? <laughs> today, It ain't that complicated. It just isn't. It's a people business. And I think right. a lot of women are scared off by the math as well as I think, you know, back in the day and maybe somewhat still today, you know, it's, it's the, the boys club, but women are here. There's not a better industry anywhere I can think of that women are better, are, are better being in. I mean, someone's finances, that's life or death. You know, um, so to bring someone who can sit with you and talk to you and really kind of not, not talk over you and not get too technical with you, I think it's huge. And I think if more women understood that, more would get into the industry. Right. So. That's that's something that needs to to be heard. And I think you you hit the nail on the head when it comes to a conversation with a client. A woman happens to have, uh, I don't know, more, you know, she, more estrogen. <laughs> she has more of a yeah. nurturing. <laughs> that's, it's, it's a, a natural thing. thing to be in. Yeah. 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 Um, it, so, that's good to hear. And in terms of where the industry is going, I'm hoping, you know, as more of these colleges have these financial planning courses. And again, I'm also hoping with like all of us getting out there, and saying, get into this career, more young people and more women will get into the business. I mean, it's going to be more accessible. It's not some mysterious series seven you have to take. It's, oh, it's actually a, a course I can take while I'm in college. And okay. have a family, right? And and you can make it what you want it to be. And again, what better career to have a child and have a family because you don't have to be in an office every day. In fact, you may not want to be. You may want to, be. you know, my advisors are split. A chunk of them love having their office. They have advisors or, excuse me, clients in, but some of them don't. They have offices or some work from home, but they don't even no matter what. They and their clients have set up a relationship where they meet at the client's house and that's what they're comfortable with. And you can mix it up. But uh, yeah, in terms of where the industry's going, I'm hoping we're going to have to see younger advisors get involved. There's there's no question about it. So in, in terms of other trends that I've been seeing, one obviously is the trend where more advisors are going into advisory business, not a commission-based business. And that's been happening for years. We also have seen the trend of pretty much no one's doing direct mutual fund business anymore. And I shouldn't say no one, but you know, people are doing things in brokerage and advisory accounts more often. But one of the biggest things I've seen most recently in terms of advisory business is this, this rep is portfolio manager. A lot of advisors, uh, I think, thought that their value was not solely, but very heavily based on their ability to pick stock or a fund or put together a portfolio. And while that is a huge talent, I think they undervalued their other talent, which is kind of goes back to the nurturing and the it's holistic client care, particularly where clients, you know, the boomers are getting older. That's great that you can pick a stock. And again, that's a huge talent. It's not one that I have. 
but how are you helping your client with this whole financial picture? And if you're sitting there watching a stock screen all day, you're not going to have the time to do more, to do financial planning. So our advisors are, again, with the help of RiskPro, that was another piece of the puzzle, working with advisors to create models. So if you're going to do rep as PM, okay, but rather than having 200 portfolios for 200 individual clients, can you look through your book and say, okay, I have a lot of similarities across my portfolios, but I'm going to create five models. And, and your team and my team have been working closely with our advisors to do exactly that. And it's not going to happen overnight. You know what I mean? Right. But slowly putting their book into models so that when Reg BI hits, um, or forget about, forget about Reg BI, to be honest, we're already fiduciaries, you know, under, mm-hmm. under the SEC. So it's documenting your process. Again, performance doesn't matter. It really does. I mean, performance matters. But if you don't have a documented process, you can have the best performance in the world and you're screwed anyway in the the eyes of a regulator. But you also, in the last few years, which I never thought I'd see, is you're seeing more and more advisors being okay with completely outsourcing the management. Looking to vet, you know, a very strategist or a third-party manager or selection of managers and then let them do the the actual day-to-day management while they're taking care of the client at a higher level. Transition, right? Through that though, because sometimes there's ego or as you said, they saw their value as maybe, you know, building a portfolio and not as holistically taking care of the person's entire financial situation. Right. And one of the best ways that we've actually seen it happen is through our new platform with you having a UMA. And it's awesome because we'll say to these guys is, okay, we have this whole lineup of strategists. Pick pick a strategist, up to you. You know, pick two. And some of them, they want to put a toe in the water, but they don't want to do the whole, they don't want to give the whole thing over to a, a, a third party. So what a lot of them are doing is opening up a UMA. So it's one account number and they're doing like half of the account is being managed by BlackRock or Wilshire or pick a name. And the other half, the rep is managing. And it's been great because they're getting to feel things out They and it works. That sounds like a great way for them to, to make that transition that's easier. It is. It's easy, it's slow, and it's not it's not overcommitment. And again, if, if they don't like it, the whole advisory agreement's discretionary. They can pull out and go one way or the other. It's up to them, you know? So it's worked out really, really well. Normally, and I say this to, um, I think this is a Chris Rock joke. Um, normally, I say to my husband, look, if you got me this seat at this stadium or whatever it is, you can't downgrade me and put me like in a in another area after I've you know already sat in a better seat. <laughs> yeah, I think when those advisors, uh, you know, once they start using professional money managers, are to sort of get that level of um, now that I have all of this extra time that I can spend. Yeah, you know that I'm not glued to the daily market and and have time to spend with my clients as well. Yep. Can't really go back once you've gone there. It's you know it, oh, yeah. I haven't seen anybody go back honestly. Yeah. Plus, again, not only just creating again, from a compliance efficiency standpoint and having this extra time. Guess what? Like, there's a whole new world of financial planning out there. And again, it's not a new world, right? Because they'll pay for it one way or another, and it and it could be in a really bad way if they don't have the right, uh, you know, if they don't have the right guidance. Yeah. Exactly. All right. It was really great um, being able to talk to you. And what what I'd like to do, I'm going to have your information. If anyone wants uh, to talk to Jenny, she's always she's open door policy to talk to advisors or people in the business or or young women or any any woman that is in doesn't have to be this business that could really use that sort of, hey, you can do this, too. Right. Yeah. Need to apologize. 
What I'd like to do is have another session with you, another podcast when we're through this and see what we've learned and and see if a year from now we're still sitting in the same place. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I wanted a fun fact. I don't I hate getting asked that question. I, I have a fun fact. Yeah, can I have it? <laughs> you can have it. All right. Let's so a lot of this is kind of primarily resonate more with Massachusetts and New York, I think, but Prince Pasta is a very famous brand of pasta around here. And there used to be a commercial and Wednesday was Prince Spaghetti Day. So the commercial would run and this this old lady would hang her head out the window and go, Anthony, because north end of Boston, it's Prince Spaghetti Day. So <laughs> Anthony would run home. So funny fact, Vin Cantella of Cantella and Coing, his parents started Prince Pasta. Get out. Nope, they did. They lived on Prince Street in the north end and they started the pasta store and fast forward and Vin was like, hey, I think I'm gonna start a broker dealer. <laughs> you know? Out of pasta. That is so cool. I love it. It's All right, one. Jenny. Get back right. to the twins and the, hey, how's well you were a teacher, so that math doesn't bother you. You know, some of the people trying to homeschool right now oh, yeah. are not having a little well, bit of trouble I, with sixth grade. Yeah. It's worked out well for me because I I mean I had a routine, you know what I mean? It took you get backed into it. But yeah, some of these people got to be tough. They're getting a lot more gray hair very quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you go. So I'll let you get back to work and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. This recording has been prepared and made available by RiskPro to be used for information purposes only. RiskPro is an investment risk profiling and portfolio construction software as a service platform developed by ProTools LLC. The information contained herein, including any expression of opinion, has been obtained from or is based on sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness is not guaranteed and is subject to change without notice. Any expressions of opinions reflect the views of the speakers and are not necessarily those of Pro Tools LLC or its affiliates. Pro Tools does not provide investment tax or legal advice. Investors should consult their financial, tax, or legal professionals before investing.